This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of finding people who are amazingly powerful and you still get it over on them. This week we are talking Fringeworthy once again and we are talking about running out there in your exploration vehicle and pulling onto a fringe platform and it's already being explored by somebody else. And we're not just talking about one of these random things where, John, you had the hoochie, right? Wasn't that how you pronounced it? Hoochie. Which was a, a, a steam lorry sitting out in the middle of nowhere and they met them and followed them back to their home world. Okay, We're talking about where you go and find out that just like IDET is busy claiming its spot on the fringe path, somebody else is doing the same thing. So when that happens, when you run into people who are not only fringe aware, but are completely dedicated to the idea of exploiting their platforms and the surrounding nodes, how does IDET react? How does Alien Core react? What do you think, Trav? Well, usually with, with these new groups that are, well, not new, but new to IDET, these groups, they're going to come upon people that, depending on what they're trying to do, they may end up looking like, yeah, we are big and bad and powerful, or, oh, no, we're just, you know, I mean, they can be disguised as a fringe caravan to throw people off. IDET has to be ready for anything because, it, depending on how long that these these groups have been out there, they might have, you know, the, the Commonwealth-era tech which means it would just blow anything IDET would have out of the water. I mean, IDET has to really be careful when meeting these new groups. But even if they don't, Trav, I mean, we're not talking about somebody who's out there with just a little vehicle. We're talking about pulling into a node, and these guys are everywhere. I mean, they're they're exploring their own platforms. They've got sentries up. They're doing stuff, just like IDET back on Earth Prime is. In a very real sense, they're blocking the path from the alternate to the alternate to the alternate. So you can't just ignore them. Yeah, you, you could really run into a problem there because how Earth Prime has their, their platform is all, the Prime platform is all covered. I think also the ASA has, what, two portals out of the eight that they have access yeah. to? So yeah, I mean, that you go to that Prime platform for Earth Prime, Expect a welcoming committee, and it may not be nice. And so when IDET comes along 
and sees platforms like this, the all platforms and the prime plat. Well, they're going to do the all platforms mostly. When they come upon these all platforms, they should expect wholeheartedly these guys are just like us, or at least in their their out, not necessarily their temperament, but just their outlook. They're certainly interested in exploring, right? How about imperialism, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you run into this group, you got to remember that they think they're as important as you, if not more, you know, um, and you could very easily run into a group that is even more imperialistic. You know, look, look back to the, you know, the British Empire back in the day. I mean, they were very imperialistic and they believed in a, in a very, they, they came from a very superior standpoint. Um, you know, just, just ask any nation that was, uh, what's the nice euphemism? Colonized. Yeah. If you were a colony, things were not good for you. It's not like they came and, and brought you great things. And, and mainly is because, you know, they didn't feel as though they owed anything to, to their, their colonies or, or whatever. Very likely, you know. Um, we always picture IDET as being uh, this, this nice, benevolent organization. Um, and, and that's the way, of course, it's the way we, we've painted it. And that's the way, I think, way Richard in, envisioned it. But it wouldn't necessarily have to be that way. I mean, if you look at you know, some of the ways companies and organizations take advantage of third world countries, it would be very easy for an organization to, to not be so nice because they don't have to be. Especially if they're, they're a previous commonwealth and they have super high levels of technology and they went through a decimating war. Um, you know, you, you could have that whole mindset where it's, we'll never let this happen again kind of thing. Paranoia. Yeah, yeah that, that paranoia that, that you know, we, we need to control the French paths because uh, they're dangerous and you never know what to expect from people. And, um, you know, they may not be nice people. Yeah, well, let's just imagine the trifecta. You've got the uh, Victorians, you've got the Golden Horde, and you've got Romana Universa. Oh, yeah. Here we have a combined team who runs into one of these brand new power centers. John, what's going to happen? Hmm. Well, considering the Ro the Romans will probably be all honorary legionnaires at this point, uh, if if not actual legionnaires, they'll probably be they'll be the the military part you know arc of this group. They run too many parts there. They may actually just simply challenge them. Uh, now the Victorians are, however, are being British would rather de you know deal with them you know uh, nonviolently. So it'll be some some consternation between the two of those. I'm not sure they would want to do that nonviolently, John. I mean, after all, the British were known for being imperialistic too. Oh yeah, just dude, just just ask India or or China, uh, China. Yeah, but in China, they weren't exactly nice people. I'm not saying they wouldn't resort to violence, but the, the first their first instinct is to let's see if we can get them hooked on something. Oh right, okay, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So in other words, not not hit them head on, subvert them. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, if they don't move quick, they're going to be left in the dust by the Golden Horde. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, going to say the Golden Horde, they're they're very <laughs> impetuous, impulsive. Yeah. Wait, Trav, hold on, hold on that thought. Remember we talked about this before. Maybe, but not necessarily because uh, Genghis Khan, he was – dude, he was a schemer. He wasn't just this uh, stupid barbarian that went in swords a-waving. He would do some of that stuff, that subversive stuff, and turn people against each other. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and one and once he did conquer somebody, he was very 
He made very good treaties with them. Oh, sure, sure, or or die. And, and imagine this. I also would point, make a point that they probably would send a lot of their people to both Earth Prime and Victorian Prime just for education, so they can learn all the new stuff. So they may not be exactly crystal pure Mongols, at least the core of the group. You know, which come back and then train the rest of the fringe where they well, find. Well, yeah, you'd end up having golden horde and and legionnaires with automatic mm-hmm. pistols and whatnot and and automatic mm-hmm. rifles. Yeah, that that's a dangerous combination. I mean, that that sounds like what the Mongols would have done because they were all about modern technology. They brought a lot of modern technology wherever they went. It's AK forty sevens a go go. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Paul. Okay. Unless this is like somebody decides to totally go against the uh, current setup of the fringe pass and add this into the early campaign where we literally go out five or six pl- uh, nodes and run ourselves into another power center, this is probably going to take place in the medium, the, the middle or late campaign. So these people are going out long distances in order to run into it. There's going to be a certain amount of separation between uh, or I sh- and possibly long supply lines. So the question I have you, Paul, is, is under what circumstances do you think IDET and, and this mythical little uh, team that comprises these worst-case scenario three groups, they pull onto this, front, uh, onto this node and uh, onto this alternate platform, and they see a group out there, what is going to be their touch point for saying, okay, it's feeding time, and what's going to be their touch point for like, whoa, let's be nice, nice, because... Maybe they can take us. What do you think? Well, first I'm going to have to ask you guys to preface that with a little bit of an explanation. What is the difference between the tech level for Earth Prime and the tech level for a Commonwealth world? So I think our, our listeners are sitting there going, hmm. We're not assuming this is a Commonwealth, Paul. That would be like one of those things where you'd say, hey, these are Commonwealth people. Maybe we need to be a little careful. I mean, these could just be another world like ours where they've – well, either they never knew about the fringe paths because they were still under development, or they crashed and they rose up, but they ne- might not have necessarily ever gotten anywhere near the, the Commonwealth level, level that, that, that was, was previously. previously. Yeah, like the Huichi is an example of that. They basically they were victims of the war. They got crashed, and then they basically someone decided to be nice and time jump their portals ahead a few a few ten thousand years and then reconnected. Uh, on their prime world. So they basically had time to recover, but they now these are old stories. And it was only a complete accident. They found the, the pathways again. So, so what do okay, I think so they would do? I think like yeah. anybody mm-hmm. smart would do their reconnaissance first. Sit back and observe. If you can't observe, then approach in the most friendly, nonviolent manner you can. Oh, I say, old chap. Hello. <laughs> Why not? Put on your best diplomatic face. You're a long ways from home. And like you said, that supply line is a hundred portals away, which. Well, I got, I got something to, to think about on this then. If you, um, if you think about it, so this is, this is some distance away. So we're talking, what would you say, uh, Bruce, a mid to late campaign, mid campaign, somewhere around in there. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's gotta be the middle or late campaign. Unless someone's decides to literally stick it right next to Earth Prime, right? Okay, so we're going to assume that if we're we're in that portion, which I would advise, I think that's I think it's a good good place to stick it. 
so I'm going to assume that iDebt has been been doing this game for a while, and they've discovered quite a few members now. So they, they have a, a pretty decent-sized staff. And at this point, you have some people who can be specialists. You know, you, you're not – it's not – just cab drivers who can go through the French pass to become your drivers and, and, you know, and, and, uh, um, I don't know, hospital nurses that become, you know, they eventually become your doctors and stuff like that. You, you actually have a decent pool to pick from. Is this the period in time when you have the children of fringe explorers, fringe born? Depending on how late. Yeah, you could have that. All right. So yeah, you could have fringe born. So these, these are guys that are brought up trained. So I'm going to assume that we have some specialists and by this time, I'm sure IDET has some spies. So you could do a recon. You could send in your spies that they, that they would meet up with these people uh, and, and integrate themselves, slip in behind, you know, slip in, figure out what's going on, get the deal without them knowing or hopefully without them knowing uh, that you're there checking them out. So you think you're going to be able to slip into uh, a platform uh, that's occupied – I mean, I can see you thinking about slipping into a world, but you're going to slip into a platform. Why don't you tell us how you would do that? Okay, so they have, uh, if they're anything like us, they have convoys. There's always the option of, you know, uh, stowing away on one of the vehicles. So they they have their convoy. Uh, you guys spotted them. Maybe they've seen you. You too. They they know there's some other agency, uh, but you've never made contact with them. It's been been dicey. So you're like, all right, well, we know they've got these vehicles. So you have a guy, all ninja-like, stow away on one of their vehicles. You know, he, he slips in, hangs on the bottom of it. You know, slips into the cargo area of something. Or depending on, I don't know, depending on their, their military. Maybe their military wears, you know, maybe they they look like stormtroopers and they, they have uh, full suits and he slips into one of those suits. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think James Bond, you know, it, it's he, he pulls a Bond. All right, so it sounds like you're assuming that uh, you run into a small group of these people some distance away from their main power center. Yes. I mean, they're going to be out there exploring too, so they're going to be spread out thinner and thinner away from their main center. So there would be signs of these people before you actually... It's not like you're going to go through a portal and wham, you're like on the equivalent of Earth Prime. Right, right. Or Earth alternate. Like they've all been staying on this one node and never going anywhere else. Right. So yeah, you're right. You would see some indications that there's another group that's probably exploring a bit. There's there's something to that about trying to follow them in. We're assuming that they're actually on the platform. Again, we're doing this. Uh, we, we mentioned this earlier early on that you know that would be very convenient if they're on the platform. More likely is that they may have left gear or stuff on the platform they couldn't take through with them on the platform. So we may actually be finding not just people. We may just find their gear or, you know, their equivalent of a breadcrumb to let people know where they are. Let's pick a number. How many nodes out from their prime node do you think you would first run into them? Just as a general thought. Uh, well, I'll use the Coptics as an example. We've determined that they're at negative 140 prime. Uh, our first knowledge of the Coptics, as far as the books go, is negative 125 prime, the Coptic text slave mine. So that's 15 nodes out. Yeah, but, but it would be easy to miss that, don't you think? It's just one place, right? Well, I mean, also, as you as you read closer and closer to Earth Prime, they're at like 110, negative 110, negative 108. They're stopping off on alts every so often, and there's signs of the Coptics 
And then you get to negative 125 and boom, they've got one alternate taken mm -hmm. over and they've taken over the prime. So, yeah, that it, it, 15 is where the majority of them would be 15 out. But there's another 12 closer or so to Earth Prime where you're seeing mm -hmm. as you get oh, farther and farther away from Earth Prime, you're starting to see little more things of the signs with the, the pyramid with the laurel wreath on top. Various other things discerning the Coptics. And you're going to be realizing, okay, there's going to be some Roman Egyptian action going on here soon. We might want to, you know, keep this for further knowledge that we're probably approaching a power center. I'm, I'm assuming it's late middle campaign. So we're talking 15 to 19 years because after 20 years starts the late campaign. So we're talking from 15 years on after fringe discovery date zero. They're going to know, they're going to figure out about power centers and realizing, okay, there's going to be these groups out there that have their act together like Earth Prime does, and possibly even farther. Remember, they met the Victorians and they had been out six months before Earth Prime got out. So they're going to be in that mindset of expecting power centers out there. They're just not going to realize just how big and how big and nasty the Coptics are. I mean, in six months, Victorians only got as far as Earth as the Earth Prime node. I mean, that's only like, but they were thoroughly investigating every open portal they could find. So yeah, it sort of makes sense. Still, that's six months more than what I did had. Well, the Victorians are treating it as a scientific expedition, so they're spending time researching and cataloging everything. But there's no reason to believe that the other team wouldn't be as well. I'm gonna have to say that I think Idet's gonna think. Actually, when you're talking about sneaking in, uh, sneaking onto a portal, Blix, only thing I can think of is either you're going to be dressed in ninja style, all in black, and hopefully no one sees you against the background when you step through the through the, through the uh, 50 footer, or, and I can't remember if we said this worked or not, you you don't go through the front of the the front door, so to speak. You you have some type of rope to yourself. You go off the off the plat off the pathway, float out a little bit, and go around behind. And come through that way. I don't remember if that actually lets you come out the other side of that portal or not. It puts you on the roadway that's on the other side of the alternate. Instead of going onto the platform, you actually reappear on the road that would be on the other side if you were going straight through. It's one of the ways of getting around people who try to block the, uh, the, the platforms. Hey, actually, that works even better then, because now you're on the other side they're not going to be looking at. They know that way is safe. It's the other way is not safe. So it's a way of sneaking up behind them. I had another thought. So let's say, you know, you, you spot these these guys and, and you, you know, you're watching them or, or you find their vehicles and, and you can tell that they're, they, they've parked their vehicles outside and they've gone on to a, a portal like they, you know, like they normally would. And they've locked their vehicles. Well, okay, so they've locked their... I was going to say, it's Detroit style. They come back, they're up on blocks. <laughs> or their rear windows are gone, yeah. You have somebody with a really high crystal use skill, and they do a mind transfer, and they slip in that way. They slip into they sl one, of the, one of their people on the world they're exploring. That's right. And, then, and, and of course, this would be somebody who is very good at, uh, at acting. And he slips into that person's body and then gets back to their base that way. You know, all of a sudden he comes down with some really nasty illness or something like that. Oh, I don't feel so good. You know, so that there's not a lot of questions. They're, they're 
more concerned about his health and not, you know, not worried about little mistakes that he might be making because he's he's busy, you know, uh, focusing on his illness. You know, that's only going to work on the world, right? Because as soon as you come back to the portal, you're going to be back in your own body. Uh, okay. Well, that'd be a good way to gain information, if nothing else. You could do it that Right. If they're exploring the world, then it's a good way of getting in close and checking out stuff. I mean, you can see how many are there. You can see their tech level. You can see uh, maybe some standing orders. You know, with what, you know, are you there to just to explore? Or are you there looking for uh, places to mine? Are you slavers? Right. Are you, you know, whatever. I mean, it's there's a lot of possibilities. Yeah, we did say you know all the broken features of the portals. You know, when you, the problems you, portals are also features you should be able to access. So maybe you could do do a ghost mode mode. Yeah, yeah, ghost mode. Yeah, you could you could definitely do the ghost mode as well. the The problem with the ghost mode is you can't open things. Yeah, but you can walk through walls. You can't, but you can't look at papers. You know that are underneath other papers. You can't type on computer screens. But you can listen. But you can listen. You can definitely listen, and they won't know you're there unless they're psychic. Yeah, which is un- which basically is fairly unlikely. Yeah. Of course, if they do spot you, you can go, I am the ghost of blah de blah de blah <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? They may, they may fall for it. Again, you need a good bluff skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you go and do a little bit of reconnaissance with them. You feel like you really need to learn more about them. One of the options was, was Peter's option of trying to slip in to, you know, do a, 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 a 007 slip into the back of one of their vehicles as they're taking off, which isn't that unlikely because almost nobody checks the underside of the platforms. And you could also be on the other side of the roadway. Now that it's 41 feet wide, you know, when they go through the portals, they're going to slow down, you know, because it's a black surface and you want to be able to see when you get to the other side. So if everybody's in their vehicles and they're just driving along and nobody's really checking around too much, it wouldn't be that hard to just climb out from underneath and you know, slip underneath, you know, the, uh, one of their vehicles if they're like a half track or uh, even climb up, you know, climb in the back of one if you know that they just carry cargo back there. Yeah, and also if they're using fringe power of some sort, like like uh, the gravity shear wheel, they have to deploy that. Right, that's ample time to sneak up and get into their into their into their trailer or whatever. Right, that's true, and especially if they're going a long way, because if they're going a long way, then they're going to want to conserve their gasoline and and their their diesel fuel and the fringe motor as a kind of a a, a tractor. Uh, for ki- moving their vehicles along is a really good idea. When you consider that the nearest friendly, like for the Coptics, the nearest friendly spot is a, is 500 miles away, yeah, you might want to save the fuel at that point. When I ran my, my original Fringeway camping way back in the ni- back in the 80s, they were out at 50, out in the plus 50s. And that that point, they were working off of, they had bases. There was base, The nearest base was like 10 portals away. I would think so, yeah. So they made sure they had plenty of fuel. They had, you know, they had the giant fuel tank to go along with the vehicle just to make sure they had fuel for the vehicles uh, and stuff like that. This is early French-worthy. When IDET runs into these people, okay, they're going to have some, at least some pocket stops or some worlds that are friendly to them that they've cached equipment at, you know, as as they've been moving out. You know, they've been making friends along the way. And so they're not, you know, when when they do this, they have a place to fall back to if it goes sour. 
And they also have a place to fall back to if they feel like they need to uh, get better weapons. So they don't have to show up like the French pirates with the tiny two millimeter cannons on top of every vehicle. Of course, if they do, everybody's probably going to be very polite. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say some of, their, some of these friends, got to use air quotes there, may be friends because, yeah, they don't want to get hurt. So, yeah, yeah never know. Or they may be, like you say, a neutral. They may have actually lucked out and found a market world. And that's one of their base operations. Hell, I, I would use a market world as base operations if I found one. Are you talking about an expo center? Yeah, an expo center. Uh, if it's an expo center or one of the smaller ones. The, actually, I would say the smaller ones would be, be more likely. Because the expo center would be Miller Heaven at that point. I wouldn't even want to go there. Actually, our, our book says that every one of them, the Miller was defeated on. Ah. Thank you. So, yeah, I would say an expo, expo center were, were trade areas. The big ones were, were, were the Commonwealth worlds would trade and, you know, and share stuff. The smaller worlds, the smaller market or expo worlds were designed to, well, the, the people who are just getting and learning how to use the pathways and patting them on the head and say, hi there, children. Here, have some things and go away. You know, it, but there would be a lot of stuff there to operate from. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. Okay. So let's say we do, and we, we drive, we, you know, we drive on, we run into some of these people, okay, you know, that, that maybe as it looks like they're from an, another exploring group that's, the kind, that's, that's more than just one world just coming out and exploring the next world. What do you think our modus operandi is? Okay. How do we tell whether or not they're good or bad? Or somebody that we, we should be concerned about, someone we want to welcome with open arms. I mean, if they look like angels, okay, or if they're all soup, you know, like supermodels, you know, female or male supermodels, depending upon your inclination. Okay, is that is that good enough, or is there something more we need to look at to decide whether or not they're going to be a friend or foe to IDET? You said that the, if they're all looking like blonde-haired, blue-eyed, gorgeous supermodel type. Just because they look good, that may not imply that they may be ethically wonderful for IDET to join in. They may be genetically perfect, but ethically, you know, just not right. They may be, you know, enhancing their own genetics to, you know, try, just try to build physically, you know, they may end up being like, you know, Khan from Star Trek. You know, yeah, they may be physically and intellectually superior, but you don't want to cross them. Or Six from Battlestar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm... I, I did not use that. I'm not familiar with the newer version. Okay. But yeah, they just because they may look good may not, you know, if IDET's just going to go on that, then there's a problem. They're they're going to get what they deserve. Uh, well, so what what are you going to look for, Trav? IDET, as I said, by this time they're going to know about power centers. They're going to know about group no a node or a group of nodes that are out there claiming their own little piece of the fringe paths. So they're going to be looking at things like okay, do these guys walk around with a lot of weapons? A militaristic look to them? Do they have an exploratory look to them? Are they a scientific expedition? Do they have a lot of, you know, mechanical sensory type things like the, the wind-up that, that's in Fringeworthy 20? They're going to be gauging how these people are. And, of course, these guys might be fooling, you know, it's like, yeah, they may be scientific, but they could actually be fringe pirates or whatever, you know. So IDET's going to have to, you know, they would have gauged, learned to gauge these groups pretty well by the late middle campaign. They're going to be looking for not only how do they look, 
but if they're looking like it too good, like they're looking to fool people. They look too clean. I'm not saying that IDET's going to get paranoid. I just don't know what looking too good means, Trav. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess it's, it's a gut reaction. They're too stereotypically scientific because a lot of these power centers, IDET, they have a mixture of scientists, explorers, combatants. It's a mix. They're going to look at this group and say it's an entire scientific expedition. Very little armament or very little, you know, hopefully a red flag is going to come up. And, of course, these other power centers are going to be thinking, you know, they're going to say, well, if we keep our, you know, our guns hidden, people will underestimate us, but we'll be ready in case we do get attacked by whatever's out there. IDET's going to learn. It's going to be a um, not a mind game. I'm trying to find the right term here. This power center and IDET are going to be gauging each other to see, okay, how powerful are they? How powerful do they seem? Okay. Paul, anything that you'd be looking for to determine whether they should be friends or foes? As the people I meet on the platform, then I'm going to look at their force mix. Are they all male? Do they have a mixture of males and females? Are they all warriors or their science types or medic, medics along with them? And what are they, what are they equipped with? What do they bring? Did they bring only armament and reconnaissance stuff, or did they bring scientific equipment? Did they bring medical equipment? Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at. Just what is the mix of the type of equipment they have would tell. Okay, what are their what is their main or what seems to be their main intention? Yeah, are they coming coming with an intent to like conquer, or are they coming to intent to to sample and explore? Are they coming with an intent to expand their medical and scientific knowledge? What are they looking for and how do they go about looking for it is kind of how, you know, how I would gauge them. And then I might gauge them on their scientific method and the morality they go about. If they're vivisecting live sentient beings, then even though they're advanced and they're out there for science, they're probably still not people I want to make friends. So if you, if you come out and you find them, they have a tent up on the platform and they've got like sentience in there and they're basically gutting them comparing entrails to each other. Those are bad people. Yeah, basically I'd be looking at that, seeing and go, okay, Mengele, one side, we want to get through. Yeah. What if it was actually part of their religious beliefs? What if they were doing some kind of divination to determine whether or not this world that they were about to explore would be worthwhile for them to do or not? I'd still be scared of them. I don't want to get into the whole thing about religions, but... You know, Earth Prime, you know, that type of stuff was done back, you know, thousands of years ago. I'd be kind of thinking, okay, they're sitting there and comparing entrails. That's like how the Norse used to do back in the day. It'd be like... Or the Romans. Augury. Augury, yes, thank you. <clears throat> like the D&D spell, yeah. I'd be kind of wondering, it's like, okay, what do these guys have to offer? They're still doing stuff that our Norse did thousands of years ago. I'm throwing their corpses off the path, and we're dividing their gear between us. <laughs> what if it turns out that it works for them? I'm okay with never knowing. It's possible, but still. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I want you guys to tell me what are the things that, are, that you run into, and you're going to be like, no way, Jose. This could be also on the world, too. 
if they don't have like a zillion fringe worthy, then most of their interactions with natives is going to be on the worlds they're exploring. And so you guys might be walking through a portal saying, hey, how you guys doing? We just got to the same platform as you and you meet up there rather than on the actual platform. That's a good point, uh, Bruce, because when I ran my uh, Meet the Victorians scenario, I've run it four times now, and two of the times, yeah, we keep the Victorians at arm's length, but yeah, we, we try to help them out, but you know, we don't want to let them know anything. We, in fact, they lied to them that they were actually on the Earth Prime uh, node. Keep it on the QT and don't tell them anything. Then, there, of course, there was my playtest team, which basically said, oh, come on, I'm back with us, back to Earth, Earth Prime. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you've run to all kinds. <laughs> One of the things that I would do if I encounter a society like this, if I'm not going to pull the, you know, the, the James Bond slip in and, and, and all that, and maybe I would do that in addition to, but, you know, I would start a diplomatic mission with them. You know, I'd send in some diplomats and then maybe pull, a, uh, you know, go back to the old days when, and I guess they still kind of do this, but where you would send a, one of your, your, people in and they would go live amongst them and then they would send one of their people to you you know you would you would trade some staff and you know live amongst them for a couple of months maybe a year before you really open up relationships because when you encounter them you know that doesn't mean that you have to like automatically hey come back to my house and you know we'll party we're best friends now you know you can keep them at arm's length for a year or two while you determine you know whether there's somebody you want to deal with it's not a decision you have to make right away um, and then I, I think if you have, you know, you have somebody who's trained, uh, that you send into a situation like this, they know what to look for. They know when they're being, you know, they, they can pretty much figure out when they're being bamboozled or not being shown the whole picture. Um, like for example, uh, uh, North Korea would, would accept people coming in, you know, accept reporters and stuff coming in. And, you know, within a few days, they realized that the North Koreans were snowing them. You know, they, they knew that, uh, they were being taken to the the absolute best conditions. They were being completely lied to. Uh, when they would go down streets, they were not, you know, they were not allowed to go off their track at all. They had to go down this street and then that street and then the next street. They figured out they're like, you know, th these guys are completely snowing us, putting blinders on us so that we only see what they want us to see. You know, if they get a sense of that, then they can either investigate that further or decide to keep these people at arm's length. Or maybe they'll decide, you know what, they're, they're too sketchy to deal with at all. <clears throat> That's the one thing, Blix, is that as these groups are going out and about, IDET and these other power centers, the rule is going to be keep your cards close to your chest. Don't reveal everything. So there is going to be deception out there just on the purposes of one we want to keep our own offensive and the defensive capability hidden until we need it. And two, we don't want them stealing our stuff because they, you know, we've got better tech and, you know, yeah. So just playing cards close to chess is going to be the order of the day. But what you also need to remember, and what I, I debt would need to remember on this situation is, is that they're going to be the doing the same thing and they should be, you know, I mean, they, They'd be stupid not to, you know, we're doing it, you know, so you would expect some and you probably, I, you know, I wouldn't hold that against them if they weren't telling us everything. So oh, well, they're hiding some things from us. Well, of course they're hiding some things from us. They're not stupid. Good. It means they're not dumb. We definitely want to deal with them. But, you know, there gets a point where it's just like, yeah, they're not telling us anything. Kind of like when you listen to the president address the nation. And I'm not talking about our president now. I'm talking about any president, I'm talking every president. They get up there. They address the nation, and they say absolutely nothing. 
Yeah, a lot of double talk and right. And you're you're listening to the speech. You're just like, he didn't say anything. He's he talked for two hours and said nothing. You know, when you run into that, it's kind of like, yeah, well, you know, uh, and but those are us. We're the good guys. Remember, they are us too. But I'm just saying that that someone who's trained to do this, a trained diplomat, would be able to recognize these kind of things. I mean, you know, it, that's that would that's part of being a diplomat. You you know when people are are really misleading you, or when they're you know they're just honestly keeping things, you know, keeping their own little secrets. And that's great. That's fine. They should. So you think by the middle or late campaign, it's going to be standard operating procedure to put a diplomatic type character on all exploration teams to be able to detect this kind of stuff? Oh, sure. I would. Absolutely. You know, I don't think so. But I would have them as the follow on. Mm. Let me let me take that back. Yeah. Not all teams, but much like we have our exploration teams and we have our uh, scientific teams and stuff, there would be our interaction teams and they would absolutely have a diplomat on them. The United Nations Diplomatic Corps. Yeah, I, I absolutely. They may not even part of the of UNITA. They may actually be representatives of the you know of the General Assembly. There would be independent operators, so they may even be totally outside the uh, purview of of whoever's in charge of UNITA at that point. You're not even talking about nation relations. You're talking about yeah. entire world relations, and and this is something that could. If it goes south, it could be really bad. You want a guy, if he's going to represent you, you want a guy who's going to represent you the way it needs to be represented. Because if, you know, you screw up and you go to war with another, a whole other planet, a whole other system of planets, not good. I doubt that these power centers that we're talking about who can control nodes are not going to be, okay, it's just our nation going out and doing this. No, it's going to be by the time that they have amassed enough resources to take over several nodes, they're going to be world governments. You're not going to be getting just like, okay, this world's America's going out and they've conquered their entire node and they're and the node on either side. One country, even one as big and as relatively prosperous as the United States, would not be able to do that. It would have to be something along the lines of a UN-based UN-sized mm-hmm. governmental body. Unless they're imperialistic and they actually have taken over the world. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. It, either it would have to be a world government or one nation that has enveloped the rest of it, and it's more along the lines of we're all together because we say so, not because each of us agree separately and of our own free will. Yeah, but and anyways, it's still going to be something of that massive level of power would be able to take over other nearby nodes and create this power center. Right. Okay, let me give you a scenario. Here you guys go through and you see these people and they don't look like there's a problem or anything like that. You meet up with them and they say hi and they talk to each other and they seem like pretty okay guys and girls. And they say, hey, now that we've gotten here, let's have a big party to celebrate our uh, meeting you guys. They lay out all this food and they have this sort of like a luau and things like that. Uh, first of all, are you going to get in with the party and do that? I mean, if someone says, hey, you know, this, this is a great thing. We've run into another fringe aware group. Let's celebrate. Bump boots or whatever you want to do, you know, to, to celebrate whatever, you know, th- th- this little <laughs> thing here. Okay. You know, I mean, just say basically have a welcome to each other party. Uh, are you guys going to be down for that sort of thing? Break out the MREs. Sure. 
I, I would. I mean, if, if I'm playing, I think you got to be half cowboy to be a French traveler to begin with. So I, th- I think you, you, you kind of have to have that in your blood. And, uh, yeah, I think I'd do that. Okay. So, uh, what do the rest of you guys think? I would, too. However, I'm going to excuse some of my party. So I'm going to make excuses for, say, the doctor. Because that's the guy I want sober who can administer antidotes. Oh, okay, yeah. Yes. Right. So if somebody gets food poisoning accidentally, you know, it's, it could be completely benign. Oops, sorry, didn't realize you would be allergic to this, you know, wonderful fungus that we found two platforms ago. And if you're lucky, your chief warriors are Mongols. You can say, he's fasting for, 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 for religious reasons. Right, yeah, I'm going to keep a warrior or two. Just, uh, you know, keep an eye on our gear. Yeah. Or maybe... Maybe standard procedures that when you run into the situation, you send someone back to home base right away. Yeah. 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 So that if things go south, at least home knows that there was an encounter at this node with unknown parties. Send back a bike rider? Yeah, so you don't just disappear. That's what my team did when they encountered the Mongols. One hopped on his stream uh, tricycle and went back home, brought back a truck with stuff. <laughs> Okay. Steam tricycle. I, I know. I just say that sounds so impractical. <laughs> I love it. It's the phrase as far as when you're dealing with other people and you're uncertain about them. It's something I read in a comic book a long time ago. When you shake hands with the devil, you always keep one hand firmly on your soul. You don't go full bore into whatever you know new thing that you're going into because there is that chance they're out to screw you. You always yep. have an ace or two up the sleeve. The doctor there in case, you know, there's an antidote needed. A couple of warriors who are able to fight if things go south. You just don't want to go full bore into this. But, you all, again, it's a diplomatic thing. You got to make it look like that you're not blowing them off and being discourteous to them. Because it, in, the, in this culture, it may be, okay, you know, you're not accepting our food. You're dissing us. Yeah, I mean, how long can you keep that up? Let's say it isn't just one night. Let's say they say, hey, since we're here and, you know, we're kind of shorthanded, there's only like, you know, a dozen of us. You got a dozen. Now we got 24. This is great. Let's go explore this world. We got we actually have a really good force for this now. And they want to split up duties with you and things like that and share food. Assuming that you agree to exploring the world together to a certain extent, how long before the guard, you think the guard would drop? Uh, well, first of all, when you're going to separate duties, you're going to assume duties with each other, you're going to have rules of engagement. You're going to have standard operating procedures, and you're going to say, this is how we do things. You're going to sit under and make it an agreement. And that's another way you're going to test the waters. Spoken like a true soldier, Paul. Yep. You're only going to be fired when fired upon. You're only going to re- respond to a hostile act once a hostile act has been committed. Somebody can't just threaten you. They have to actually attack you for you to shoot back. And if that's not the rules for the other guy, you guys may not be able to work cooperatively. And that's another way of gauging whether your two c- civilizations are compatible. Well, let's say that's possible. Is there anything else that would be a, a line in the sand kind of thing? Religion? If they're sacrificing babies, you, know, you, you might be drawing the line. Yeah. Yeah, you might say, hey, you know what? We're not judgmental, but we can't deal with you. You, you go, you do you, we'll do us, but we can't, you know, that's not going to work for us. But like, for example, if they were like Muslim and you weren't, and they have to have stop and have their prayers so every so often, 
you're, it's not going to stop you, right? No. Earth Prime no. has Islam already, so if they come upon a Muslim power center around on the fringe paths, it's like, okay, they might have to deal with, you know, their historian or if they have a priest in the group, you know, who knows about world religions, it'd be like, okay, we have to go in expecting that during these times they're going to pray back toward their Mecca, which means they'll have their prayer mats out and they will be facing back toward their home, their home uh, node. Hey, Trav, what I think Bruce was saying was something like that. Yeah. I'm not saying specifically Muslim. Take Alien Mine. Remember the movie Alien Mine? Yeah, that's a great Wade Lewis Gossett Jr. Oh, God, I love that movie. Yeah. You run into them. That was a really good movie about culture clash. You know, imagining how the two of them would get along. So that was very well done with the whole alien mindset and the whole, you know, clash of cultures and such. You know, that would be a really great example. Oh, and here's another thing. Oh, we didn't even talk about this. And I want to touch on one more thing and I'll come back to this. But... You know, you, you could always, uh, going back to, you know, working with these people, what if you want to throw one on your players, you know, the plot thickens, where you run into them when they're trying to rescue some people. So there isn't time to talk about how you're going to help them and what are the rules of engagement and all that kind of stuff. They see you and they ask you for help. You know, so you either do or don't. You know what I mean? And then... The, you mean like they, they, you you come in part and they're sitting there licking their wounds because they they're the ones that just that escaped. Well, either they have escaped, or they're doing humanitarian aid for for their people or for for whatever you know they're delivering medicines into a maybe not even a um you know hostile with another culture but hostile with the environment. Maybe they don't need your help, but they would like your help. I say, Peter, you're really going to have to observe, and your team leader on the ground is going to have to make really fundamental decisions. Because if they're performing humanitarian aid for their own people, and they're forming a colony, and that colony is hostile to the world they're colonizing, oh yeah, you could be making an enemy of a prime world and an ally of an invader. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best kind of stories. And, th- and think about Peter; they're they're making a colony. They know how to make fringeworthy. Oh, sure. That may be the purpose of the colony. Right. Yeah. I mean, you may get in there. They may seem like they're doing humanitarian aid and you, you know, you're like, all right, well, we'll help them out and, you know, and, and we'll see how this goes. And, and that's when you see the servants. <laughs> who... <laughs> that's when you find the cocoons. Oh my God. No, you find the, ser- you find the servants, the, pe- the, the locals, the natives of this world. They're the servants. They're being treated like not real people. Right, exactly. Because they're not real people. Yeah, but we have people like that. The Romans, they like their slaves, and they don't see anything wrong with that. We accept them in IDET. So that it's not necessarily a, you know, uh, a litmus test. And Roman slavery is a lot different than Southern slavery in the, in the United States. There's, a, there's some major differences. For one thing, you're ne- if, you, if you have a child, that child's not a slave. We, you know, John, we know that. I'm just saying, but what if that's how they're treating their slaves? What if you, you you find out, you realize, oh, man, they're taking slaves, but it turns out that their slaves are much like the Roman slaves. You know, maybe maybe not so bad. Even if they are, even if they treat them like they're southern slaves, as you're putting them, or as, you know, slaves that are there to do all the things that you don't want to do and and possibly, you know, die or an early death because of maltreatment. Where do you draw the line? 
do they have to get beaten to death before you say, okay, now nah, you guys are done? You know, if they're under age and they're having sexual relations with them, I debt would be just like, okay, yeah, we know. Where is the line? You know, we're, we're talking about this, but we're not really saying where is the line for the the UN. I mean, we are talking about IDET, and they are operating off the rules of engagement of the UN. Because the Romans wouldn't have a problem doing, yeah, I hate to say this, if you had any legionnaire, any Romans from Pax Romana on the team, they would have actually no problems with underage um, people doing things. You know, because that happens on their world. You know, that's the that's the norm on their world. Yeah, see that that's the thing with with such a and I I don't like this term multi-culty team, where you have people from Earth Prime, people from Pax Romana, people from the Victorian world, the Golden Horde, the Erlanders, the the Erders, the Norlanders. You're going to have a lot of cultures, and out of a team of oh eight people. There may be things that may be okay with three or four of them, and the other four may go, no, you're going to end up having to decide just within your own team, and it's going to be on a on a um, mm-hmm. case-by-case basis. I really only see, like, Earth Prime and Victorians forming teams, and then teams forming with the other groups. Just because they're on a common tech level, common level of understanding of things, and maybe culturally they have some of the same norms. So I can see the the Norlanders, the Pax Romana, the Golden Horde working together. It's the Erders that are kind of out there in limbo. I guess they would get along best with the Victorians and very little with IDET, or, or I'm sorry, Earth Prime. And don't forget the Mongols and the, the Tazeel. They're like made for each other. Hey, I got one. What if you're traveling with another team? Let's say your game master has decided that um, the team that you have joined, or, or maybe a couple of the players want to play people from Pax Romana, and it's actually a Pax Romana team that you're traveling with, and they run into one of these slaver types, and you know you find it kind of abhorrent. And they're about to make. They may find it abhorrent too, but more because you're maltreating. They're maltreating the slaves. They, they may, but let me let me continue with my thought. <laughs> but let's say they decide that this group of people is a good mix for them, and it's a very powerful ally. You know, what do you do as an IDET? You know, as an as, as an IDET person, do you try to sabotage that relationship? Because what if it's looking like, oh, wait a minute, what if the what if Pax Romana makes an ally with this really powerful group? You know, where is that going to put Idet in this whole picture? Hey, let's be honest. The the Coptics are Roman Egyptians. That could be a match right there. Right? Yeah, yeah. What if you're right? What if you're out with a Pax Romana team, right? And they meet the Coptics, and they're like, "Hey, you guys are great," and they're like, "Hey, you guys are cool." At that point, do you turn on your team? Do you? Run home to mama and tell. I don't. I don't know what you do at that point. That's a that's a tough call. Well, those are like the rules of engagement for teams. That's what we're talking about here. I didn't want to get into the whole inner group thing. That's that's actually we. I think we talked about that. Maybe we need to return back to that to talk about you know how do you integrate all these different teams together with their cultures, not just their own little personal quirks. I think there will be certain things that would make you. You know, have a problem if they went in and decide to just mow down a village, you know, aka me lie, 
because they wanted to to take over their area and want to use their stone buildings as their you know landing site for their their explorations. That might be a, a litmus test, a, a thing where you'd say, "Yeah, no, we're we're done with this group right now." Okay. If we are doing this in the mid or late campaign, we're talking. Thirty or forty years at minimum in the future. No, it's between fifteen and 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 above. You're the one who keeps pushing it way in the future, John. I mean, if you want to say forty, fifty, that's fine. But a lot of other people aren't going to wait that long. Well, how long does it really take to explore one node? How many portals is that? Well, you're not going to explore the entire node, Paul, because some of the portals are locked down under crystal uh, under crystal keys that are higher level. So therefore, you are always going to be returning over time to nodes you've already explored as you get better and better crystals to open up more. Which leads me to the point why it takes so much longer to go and further and further out because you got to come back. Hey, mate, let's try this green crystal on this portal because the blue one didn't open it. You know, later campaign doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be that many nodes out far enough out that you're running into this group. So, I mean, like I said, you can decide how far out you want it to be. It can be six nodes out. It can be 25 nodes out. You know, that's that's for the GM to decide. If it is within six nodes and you don't get along with them, you're going to have open warfare on the fringe pass. Even in 15 years, you're not going to see the, the differences you see right now. In in the early in the in the like the early years in the first five years between the Petromana the Erders in fifteen years the teams are going to be pretty much work together I mean they're going to have to they have fifteen years working together you got some old hands who've been there since you know I've been here since day one and they've learned what it means to be a Roman what it means to be an Erder and they've adapted their style so you know, it's kind of hard to actually to play a multi-culty as a uh, Trav put it, uh, when, you know, when in fact the multicultural is going to be pretty much, uh, you know, we know how each other works and how they, how they think. So you may not actually run into these situations in, you know, after 15 years, you know, and it, it, I almost guaranteed everyone, like we said with the fringe born, these people are going to, these, the fringe born are going to be trained on every dang world. Doesn't matter where they're born. They've been to Petra Manor. They've been to Erd. They've been to Norland. They've been to Victorian. They've they, they've been to Tazeel. They know how these these people think. Visiting isn't living it, John. Well, remember that cultures like the Mongols and the Romans also have a strong culture of exchanging their children as hostages. You have my firstborn son, or my secondborn son, or my firstborn daughter as a hostage, and that guarantees your goodwill. And vice versa, I have yours. They may study for a year. They may study for like the first 10 years on Earth and the world of their birth. Then they spend the next 10 years traveling from world to world. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, like cultural immersion, like you go to Germany yeah. for a year. Yeah. Yeah. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, 
You best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.